So this session is called City of Refuge. Um, we're we're going to talk about the cities, plural, of refuge. There's a reason why it's singular. Um, how many know, have heard about the cities of refuge in the, in the Old Testament? Okay, yeah, a few of us. All right, so we're going to have an understanding of uh, the Levitical cities of refuge, meaning it's uh, a law-based uh, um, system. Um, but it, it's interesting because it, it's kind of weird how it works, but then when you start looking at kind of, when you start putting Jesus in the middle of it, it kind of makes sense. It makes more sense. So we're going to talk about how the cities of refuge system symbolizes Jesus. Of course, I think if you, if you talk to me about it, I think everything in the scripture symbolizes Jesus. So make sure my phone's off here. All right. Did I start the, yeah, I did. Okay. All right, so Levitical cities. So a little history here. After Canaan was conquered, it was divided between the tribes using, anyone guess? Lots. Using lots. And that's from Joshua 13. If you want to read all that, it's Joshua 13 to 21. So it's a few chapters. Um, the part I want to kind of focus on is Joshua 14, though, 1 through 2. It says, These are the territories which the sons of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, uh, which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the household, households of the tribes of the sons of Israel apportioned to them for an inheritance by the lot of their inheritance as the Lord commanded through Moses uh, for the nine tribes and the half tribe. So that's Joshua 14, 1 through 2. Um, and of course, when we talk about lots, we're not just talking about a game of chance here. We, we've talked about coincidence. And of course, you always want to refer back to <coughs> Proverbs 16, which says the lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from chance. Or just kidding, it's from the Lord. <laughs> Proverbs sixteen thirty three. If you want to look at figure 12-1 back there in the back, that's kind of how all the land was divided. Well, that is how all the land was divided up. Um, you can see Dan there got the short straw. Um, Benjamin, too. Yeah, Benjamin, too. Yeah. But... They were smaller tribes. Yes, and the Levites didn't get any land, but they did get some cities. So the Levites did not receive any land they received 48 cities. What's the significance of 48? I have no idea. It's just that's how many cities they have. So may not be any, may not be any reason behind that number. It's not a multiple of seven, so I don't really look beyond it from there. So, um, so Joshua 14.3 says, For Moses gave, uh, had given the inheritance of the two tribes and the half tribe beyond the Jordan, because remember there were 13 tribes technically and so you could kind of you might say there was a baker's dozen there was always one extra tribe uh, one tribe was never included usually and then the others were so um, I won't go beyond that you can study that yourself it's kind of interesting there are no lost tribes if you want to talk if we talk about tribes we always bring up people always bring up the lost tribes there were no lost tribes all the tribes still exist so um, <clears throat> we might get into that in a later time but um, it says that they did give. Uh, they did not give a portion to the of the Levite to the Levites in the land, except cities to live in. Thus, the sons of Israel did as just the Lord had commanded Moses, and they divided the land. So that's Joshua fourteen three through five. So they did receive forty eight cities. You can find this in Joshua twenty one, 
It says all the cities of the Levites in the midst of the possession of the land. There were 48 cities with their pasture lands. They, these cities had its surrounding pasture lands. Thus it was with all these cities. All right, so these cities, they're called, there's, there's, of these 48 cities, there were six set aside as what are called cities of refuge. So God designated six cities, three east and three west of the Jordan. If you want to look at that map underneath the other map, it shows you where these cities were. So the way they're listed in the Bible, it goes from the top left there, Kadesh, down to Shechem, and then Hebron, and then up to the east of the Jordan, the Bezer, Ramoth, Gilead, and Golan. So it goes down and up. That's how it's listed. So, <clears throat> And uh, there's a kind of a large passage here. It's Joshua 20. It's actually the whole chapter um, where he talks about... Um, these, these six cities of refuge. Um, and it gives you the whole procedure of why they're called cities of refuge. So there wasn't a jury system of law in the Old Testament. Uh, if you broke the law, uh, depending on what the crime was, it was pretty much death. Uh, there's actually a law that if your kids are... Uh, I thought about reading this to my kids, but that would just be a little... Uh, if, if your kids are just, you know, little little, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Tyrants. There you go, tyrants. And you just can't do anything about them. Uh, you can't fix anything. You bring them to the, let's put them to death. So, I mean, your kids were well behaved in those days. Um, so, there were, I mean, we didn't have the go to jail system. There were no jails or prisons in, in ancient Israel. So, um, because the, the laws were pretty straightforward and strict. So, but uh, this particular law for the cities of refuge was regarding murder, and we would call it manslaughter in this case, uh, not premeditated, you know, murder. So, um, by the way, the death penalty was instituted in Genesis 9, and uh, it basically says, and this was after, of course, Noah, got, Noah and his family got off the boat, the ark. Um, it says, and if an animal takes a man's life, you kill the animal. We still kind of handle that the same way today in some places. Some places the animal's more important to people, but, you know, that's what the scripture says. If an animal takes a man's life, kill the animal. If a man takes another's life, you kill the murderer. Or kill the manslayer, as the scripture calls it. And that verse, of course, says, Surely I will require your lifeblood from every beast I will require it, and from every man, from the man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood... By man his blood shall be shed for the image of God he made man. So that's where capital punishment is pretty much instituted. All right, so <clears throat> real quick, I'm going to read this part of uh, Joshua 20. I'll just read it, and then we'll talk about it. The Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, I might just skip a few little passages because we're trying to focus on a few parts here. Designate the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who kills any person unintentionally, without premeditation, just to make it clear, may flee there. So an accidental death, basically. If you accidentally somehow manage to kill somebody, this is what you do. If you did intentionally kill them, you, you're sorry. You know, you're, you're also going to be put to death. Um, but if you accidentally kill some, someone, it says, you may flee to one of these cities or flee there, and they shall become your refuge from the what's called avenger of blood. We're going to talk about what the avenger of blood is later. He shall flee to one of these cities, and he shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and state his case. 
in the hearing of the elders of the city. So he's supposed to go to one of these cities of refuge, say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to kill this person. The Avengers of Blood after me. Please help me. I, here's my proof, if, if you have any. Um, and if they accept you, it, it goes on here, that they shall take him into the city to them and give him a place so that he may dwell among them. So he has to stay in this city. And uh, then it goes on. They shall not deliver the manslayer into his hand. So the avenger of blood pursues him. Then they shall not dis dis uh, deliver the manslayer. The, the, ma the avenger of blood, we'll talk about it, but it's basically the next of kin. So if, say, someone died and their brother or son or whoever the next of kin is, they are legally allowed to go and take revenge, basically, on this person and take his life. Unless he is accepted into a city of refuge, he can't go in there and get him. So, <clears throat> because he struck his neighbor without premeditation and did not hate him beforehand, he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment. And there's a comma there, but it's kind of like an and. And until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. So, that's kind of weird if you think about it. It's like he can stay in the city of refuge until the high priest dies. Why? We'll talk about that. Um, so, when the high priest dies, he's free to go back home and the, the avenger of blood can't touch him. Um, then the manslayer shall return to his own city and his own house. So they set apart, and then it talks about the cities they set apart and where they are. Okay, so the avenger of blood, the Hebrew word is goel hadam. And if you know anything about Hebrew, that word, that might seem familiar because it literally means redeemer. It's the same word for kinsman redeemer. So goel, sometimes they use the hadam in there, sometimes they don't. But Goel means redeemer. It means to purchase back or to be near of kin. So there's an idea of next of kin and a redeemer who is the next of kin. The same word for kinsman, redeemer. K-I-N-S-M-A-N. So... <clears throat> And, of course, there's the word for Goel Hadam, and, of course, it's from right to left. So the first word on the right is Goel, and then the, the second word on the left there is Hadam. All right, and you might just usually, when someone's talking about it, might just say Goel. So Kinsman Redeemer or Avenger of Blood is Goel Hadam, or, or just Goel. <clears throat> so the procedure of this, and we're just going to go through verse by verse, kind of in an in expo expositional type way. A murder takes place, and of course we're going to assume it's unintentional or without premeditation. The next of kin, the avenger of blood, is permitted to kill the manslayer. So the murderer has to get out of town quick, basically. If the murder was not intentional, the manslayer may flee to one of the cities of refuge. And, of course, we would call it manslaughter, without premeditation, unintentionally. If it was intentional, well, sorry. Uh, the judgment is already established there. Okay, so we call it manslaughter. So Joshua 24, basically what happens there is the manslayer pleads their case to the city elders. We're kind of going over what we already talked about, but in more detail. If the elders believe the manslayer, they will provide refuge. I don't know where you left off there, but I can go over it again if you want. Uh, if the blank was not intentional? If the murder was not intentional. The manslayer may flee to one of the cities of refuge. Okay. And then we would call it manslaughter. 
and the manslayer pleads their case to the city elders and if the elders believe the manslayer I wish we'd use that word more often manslayer just sounds cool they will provide refuge and then Joshua 25 the avenger of blood cannot pursue the manslayer while inside the city of refuge if he leaves the city of refuge the manslayer then he's free reign for the avenger of blood he has to stay in that city so Joshua 26 Verse 6, the manslayer can safely remain in the city of refuge until the trial and the death of the high priest. In the high priest in Jerusalem, of course. <coughs> kind of weird, kind of random, but we'll talk about it. So, now we're going to talk about the singular version of cities of refuge. That's where we get this title of this lesson, city of refuge. So, our city of refuge. We might kind of start thinking, huh, I know where he's going with this. So, who are the murderers? Us. And, of course, I, I will refer to 1 John 3.15 for that. Uh, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. So if you've hated anyone, well, you're a murderer in, in God's eyes. So, But we have Jesus, so there's, there's the good news. There's the contrast. Yes, we're all terrible people until we put our faith in Jesus and we were made new. So, And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. But and then there's the contrast. So, Who is guilty of Jesus' death? Us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. <clears throat> Who is the Goel, or the kinsman redeemer, the avenger of blood? Jesus. And why? Well, the avenger of blood, this is from, a, there's a website called exploringthetruth.org. I got this little quote from, I thought it was neat. The avenger of blood in ancient Israel was the nearest male relative, was responsible for protecting the property, liberty, and posterity of his next of kin. Who do you think that is when it comes to Jesus? Who's his children? Us. So, in addition to protecting their lives through the avenging of blood, the Old Testament type of the avenger is also fulfilled, as might be expected by Jesus Christ the Lord. So, here's where it gets kind of interesting. Was Jesus' death premeditated? From God's point of view? Yes. What about from man's point of view? No. What did he say when he was on the cross? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Right. Luke 23. So <clears throat> that gives us the right to run to our city of refuge. For how long? Until the high priest dies. Who is our high priest? Jesus. Now, isn't it starting to make sense now? It's like you read this in the Old Testament. It's like, why in the world is it set up this way? But it, then it becomes, of course, later revealed. So um, Hebrews 3.1, it says, Holy brethren, partakers of a, therefore holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. And, of course, Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And, of course, we know who that is. And I also got this quote from uh, that website. It says, what is Jesus our refuge from? To a certain degree, Jesus is our refuge from himself. As Christians, we love to talk about Jesus as the one who saves us from our sins, which we, are, we call redemption. On the other side of that coin is a fact that we generally attempt to avoid discussing. In his second coming, what is Jesus going to do? Judge. He's going to judge, and I'll just put it plainly, he's coming to kill all of his enemies, 
So he is coming as Goel, or the Avenger of Blood. So he fulfills really all of these roles in an interesting way. And that's what a lot of people struggle with. How, does, how is Jesus this king and a servant and, a, and going to die and, and, you know, and all these things? Well, he fulfills all these. So I told you it was a short lesson, but we're going to play a little game after this. So, All right, so the summary. Jesus Christ is our refuge. And hint, hint, these are quiz questions. Jesus Christ is our refuge. Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. Jesus Christ is our High Priest. We are guilty, and we need a Redeemer. And of course, the memory verse is Hebrews 4.14. Therefore, since we have a great High Priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confessions. Any questions? Jesus is our city of refuge. And we get that from the cities of refuge. It's an obscure story in, in the Old Testament.